Welcome to a weekly update where we go in-depth on a particular topic. This week I'm joined by Senior Workplace Relations Consultant Maria Coppolis. Welcome Maria. Hi Maddie. So to assist us with uh, determining this week's topic, we've got a clue uh, for the people uh, listening rather than watching. Maria, can you uh, tell us what is on screen? Uh, so we've got a picture from the sitcom The Office uh, and it's Michael Scott, who's the boss, sitting with two employees, uh, Phyllis and Angela. <laughs> And based on that clue, what would you say the topic for today's discussion is? Uh, look, I think he in, in that scene was a mediator for some sort of dispute that they had. Um, so I'm not sure whether there's uh, mediation or dispute res. That's a very good guess. Um, yes, in that, in that episode, I think they were having a dispute over party planning. So I'm not sure how many disputes our members have on that. But you're absolutely correct. We are today talking about uh, dispute resolution procedure in the new uh, medical scientist agreement, which can be found at clause 11. And we'll also be talking about fixed term employment, which is at clause 26. So Maria, let's start with clause 11. Uh, this has gone through a name change. So that's correct. So this clause was previously known as the dispute settling procedures. And this course has also gone through a structural change. Why is that? So VHIA sought to align uh, key clauses amongst all agreements in the last round of bargaining, and that's for the purpose of increasing commonality between agreements. Let's go to the first change, and that is at clause 11.4a, which deals with dis uh, the discussion at workplace level, which we'll bring up on screen now. So at 11.4a, the parties will attempt to resolve the dispute at the workplace levels as follows. So in the first instance, it'll be uh, by discussions between the employees and their representatives and the employee's uh, manager, supervisor or other relevant manager. Uh, and where that dispute or grievance is about the actual conduct of the employee's manager or supervisor, the employee may uh, first discuss that matter with another representative of the employer. And, and if the dispute is still unresolved, um, the um, employee can have discussions with uh, more senior levels of management. Uh, Maria, would it be correct to state that there has been no substantive change made to 11.4a Roman numeral uh, I? Yes, that's correct. So the clause has been deleted and redrafted. Um, there is no substantial change to operation and no change to the entitlement. Uh, and it would be fair to say that this is a simpler way of stating that an employee can be represented and may speak to their line manager or any other relevant person within the organisation. It would. So clause 11.4A3 was amended to include that discussions can be held between the employee and all representatives and more senior managers. What was the intention behind the inclusion of the in brackets and such all representative? This was included to clarify that representation can be used at any time throughout the dispute resolution process. And that takes us to subclause 11.4b, which states that nothing in this clause 11.4 prevents the parties from agreeing at any time to conducting their discussions in writing. This is subject to clause 11.2. Uh, what was the intention behind this inclusion? So this 
also do to acknowledge that there may be circumstances where either party uh, mutually agree that it would be better to conduct the dispute in part or entirely in writing. Uh, we've discussed how parties may attempt to resolve a dispute at the workplace level. Is there a time frame associated with these discussions? Yes, there is. So subclause 11.4C um, states that discussions at subclause 11.4A will take place within 14 days or such longer period as mutually agreed, save that agreement will not be unreasonably withheld. Subclause 11.4D is new for this agreement and deals with non-compliance. Can you take us through this? Sure. So subclause 11.4D provides that where a party believes the requirement of this clause 11.4 have not been complied with, they will notify the other of their concern in writing as soon as practicable and preferably before an appearance at the Fair Work Commission. So this subclause was included to assist disputes in running smoothly. Uh, the intention was also for this clause to assist in the avoidance of circumstances where parties get to the Commission and then bring up non-compliance. Uh, so what is the next change? So the next change can be found at clause 11.8b regarding conduct of matters before the Commission and references section 596 of the Fair Work Act. Specifically, the clause states that for the avoidance of doubt, nothing in this clause affects the operation of section 596 of the Act. So section 596 of the Fair Work Act is significant as this determines the Commission's obligation with respect to representation of lawyers and paid agents at the Fair Work Commission. That's right and this is included to further detail how the Commission may run the dispute and to avoid misunderstanding. Uh, that takes us to clause 26 and the changes to fixed term employment uh, amendments were made to the existing clause to reflect the allied health professionals term. So yes, that's correct. The clauses are, however, not identical and the allied health professionals agreement does have some unique terms. However, the structure and overall entitlements um, does mirror that of the allied health agreement. Uh, so the changes were uh, done so to provide clarification as to where fixed term employment can be utilised and to prevent non-genuine fixed term contracts. So the clause also specifies that the employer will give preference to ongoing forms of employment over casual and fixed term arrangements wherever possible. And fixed term employment will only be used for true fixed term arrangements. The inclusion of this subclause was done uh, to align uh, obviously with government policies. Uh, clause 26 further provides some guidance as to who a fixed term employee is. Can you explain this change? Sure. So Clause 26B states that a fixed-term employee is an employee employed for a specific period of time, which period is known at the commencement of the contract or for a specified task, such as a project or replacement of an absent employee that contains clear terms as to when the contract is at an end, such as starting and finishing dates. Clause 26C elaborates on this by stating that in the normal course, a fixed-term contract will not exceed 12 months, save that this does not prevent a subsequent fixed-term contract from being offered where it complies with Clause 26. The previous agreement uh, provided examples of where fixed-term employment may be appropriate. Has there been any amendments to these examples? So there have been some minor redrafting and the examples are provided at Clause 26E. Uh, so firstly, we have employment positions to support qualification or registration, uh, long-term absence backfill, including work cover, where that duration of absence is known, 
special projects, uh, positions related to identifiable funding to the employer not being funding that is part of an operating grant from government, and backfill including for extended leave such as parental leave and long service leave and support flexible work arrangements. So is this list exhaustive? It is not. Uh, like in the 2017 to 2021 agreement, these are just some examples, um, but fixed term employment is not limited to these arrangements. Uh, it is important to highlight that backfill to support flexible working arrangements does not does not refer to the employee on the flexible working arrangement, but instead to an arrangement to work hours that arise from a flexible work arrangement that includes a temporary reduction in hours. That's right. Uh, the agreement now refers to fixed term employment conversion. What is the purpose of this inclusion? So this clause recognises that there may be instances where an employee is being placed on a fixed term contract uh, and following the defined conclusion period is offered a subsequent fixed term contract. So in certain circumstances, um, such an arrangement may mean that the employer is no longer engaged under the correct mode of employment. And where this occurs, uh, the employer and employee recognise that the employee may be more appropriately classified as an ongoing rather than a fixed term employee. Uh, would it be fair to say that the intention of this clause is to prevent an employee from being placed on multiple fixed term contracts? It would. So uh, this is certainly not the correct application of a fixed term mode of employment. Uh, are there any instances where an employee will not be considered to be more properly classified as an ongoing employee? So yes, where the fixed term engagements continue to be genuine, such as replacing an employee absence, including but not limited to parental leave, long service leave, workers' compensation, personal leave or flexible work arrangements. And can an employee request for a conversion to ongoing employment? They can. So either an employer or employee has a right to request in writing to the conversion uh, and that request will not be unreasonably refused by either party. So a request has been made in writing for the conversion to ongoing. The request has been accepted by both parties. Uh, what's the next step? So the employee will be provided with a letter of appointment setting out the revised employment arrangements. It is important to note that any periods of fixed term employment with the employer shall count as the employee's service. Uh, what occurs where an employee continues to work once a fixed term contract has expired? So the employee will be converted to ongoing employment from the date of the fixed term contract end. Great, thank you for taking us through the dispute resolution procedure and fixed term clauses, Maria. Thank you, Maddie.